privilege to be with our friends here in the ga in uh, room 2425 and also online. Uh, Dan, thank you for being here with me this morning. Mich Michelle and Elias are both under the weather. And Elisa, of course, has begun her maternity leave, although we have not yet gotten word about uh, the baby being born. But she's off, and Michelle and Elias are off. So, Dan, it's you and me, and then a conversation. And the conversation today, you know, you, kn you, you never know how a class is going to go. Um, but here's the genesis of this class, and then we'll thank God for the gift of learning Torah together and get into it. Of course, it's Mother's Day weekend, and I was thinking about what's a class that we could do that gestures towards Mother's Day. And then I realized it was just there staring me in the face. I don't have a mother anymore, and I don't have a mother-in-law anymore. And a lot of people don't. I mean, every night at the Gan Chapel, when people are marking a yurt site, there's somebody who comes up and says, I'm, I'm marking the 23rd yurt site for my beloved mother. And I still love her, and I still remember her, and I still cherish her, but she's actually not here. And I can't give her flowers, and I can't take her out for breakfast. And I thought to myself, how do you do Mother's Day when you don't have a mother anymore? And then I realized it's a much deeper question than that, because it's not just Mother's Day when you don't have a mother. But we're in May. We are in the spring festival of, of joy and life cycle stuff. And very often, we are on the outside looking in, right? So there's a new baby being born, but you don't have any babies in your home. There's a new wedding to dance at, but you don't have any weddings in your family to dance at. There's a new graduation, but you haven't had kids in your home, if you've ever had kids in your home. And then I start to think about um, how do you summon the generosity of spirit? Is it even possible? to summon the generosity of spirit, to not only be there, but to be there with a full heart, when your own heart might be broken. Um, so that is our conversation, and it became unexpectedly real, and um, r to me, uh, very relevant to day-to-day -day life. So let's thank God for the gift of learning Torah together, and we'll get into it. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvatah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah, pa'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torah b'finu, v'fi amcha b'Yisrael, v'niya anachnu v'tzatzeinu v'tzatzei amcha b'Yisrael, so there is one text that I know of that speaks to this issue of my own heart is broken. And yet, I can't just be broken. I need to somehow radiate joy into the universe and be happy for other people and not surrender to a parched spirit. And it is the Haftorah from Habakkuk for the second day. And what I love about this text is the mystery and the richness uh, where the rubber hits the road is in, a si is in a single word and is in a single letter of a single word. And if we can get the single letter of a single word, then I think we can get some insight into our human dilemma. 
So we're on page one. This is Habakkuk. And I'm going to just read it. Uh, and then, Dan, I have to ask you to get inside the heart of this ancient Israeli farm, Israelite farmer um, who's going through tough times. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and no yield is on the vine, though the olive crop has failed and the fields produce no grain, though sheep have vanished from the fold and no cattle are in the pen. So you'll notice that this is a parched season. Right, there's three things this farmer has not. Does not have figs, does not have olives, does not have sheep. This is a triply parched season. Okay, then, yet will I rejoice in the Lord, exult in the God who delivers me. And if you look at the Hebrew, va'ani, baranai eloza, agila, belohei And the core of it all is the first Hebrew letter, in the first word in verse 18, va'ani, and yet, translated here by the JPS as yet, uh, and yet I will nonetheless rejoice in, in God. So Dan Nesson, how does this farmer who is enduring such a bleak season uh, summon, what's the, what's the secret sauce of that vav? How does the farmer do that? Can you do that? How do we do that? <coughs> Right, so I would I would say you know of course the Hebrew is so so telling the va as opposed to ver, you know therefore or despite could be translated that, that in this way. Um, this is this is the ultimate act of faith, you know when things are basically as pretty much as bad as they can get. Uh, this the ultimate act act of faith of faith here is that um, still believing that things can be and will be better um, the ultimate the ultimate um, optimist and um, uh, to me it's um in some ways it's unfathomable unfathomable but on the other hand um, we as Jews over the millennia have had that vav the va in our in our existence you know uh, through all the times that we have been in um, in the most dire straits, uh, we we have come up with a way to uh, survive and move forward. Um, think of you know anima amin ve'amunashlema, despite uh, despite every how bad everything is. And then this, but this brings it down to the not not just the national level um, and the universe, even the universal level, but the individual level. How an individual can possibly, in the worst possible times dig so deep into their soul to find to find that the depth of the f of the faith in uh, that things will be better and it may not be for that person but but for their family for the future uh, but not sometimes even not at that time mm. so I hear you saying that the secret sauce are part of the secret sauce of the vav the vav of of despite it all I will rejoice is the sense of hope for a better future that despite it all, the world will look different one day. And we can talk about that um, in the case of uh, the, the couple that hasn't had a child yet that might still have a child, and the uh, adult person who's looking for a partner who's had a thousand bad dates who might still find their partner, uh, and the person who struggled with their health for a long time and might one day finally actually 
um, get some traction and get better. Um, so I, I hear that, but what do you do down with Mother's Day? Tomorrow is Mother's Day, and your mother is not coming back, and my mother is not coming back. And so how, what does hope uh, look like in the context of losses that, that aren't going to be remedied, at least in any linear way? Uh, there will always be a sadness. Um, and and the, the, I guess the hardest part is, uh, as we look in some other texts, is how, how we can uh, fully rejoice uh, and note that uh, despite, uh, you know, in, in the times that things are, uh, that, that we have a sadness in, uh, um, uh, in, within ourselves. Um, but I would say also on the other hand, um, this time of, is a beautiful time of reflection, of potential reflection. We all, that, e that in the times that we don't, you know, in the, uh, the situation that probably many of us are in, uh, not all of us, that our, that our mother is no longer with us, that we reflect on the lives that they led and how they formed us and how they mm. uh, were central to the family. And that reflection can cause um, and be the, um, the initia initiator of, uh, of a great, um, great happiness. Mm. So what I hear in that, Dan, is, uh, you didn't use this phrase, but I heard an echo of it. David Hartman, may he rest in peace, talked about a heart of many rooms and the capacity within your own heart to hold really conflicting emotions. And what I hear you saying is that responsible adulthood, and by the time, especially you get to be our age, when you're in your 60s, you have lost people you love. Uh, that responsible adulthood means being able to hold on to the loss, and that's real, and also have a heart of many rooms, being able to hold on to joy at the same time for other people, for hope for a different future, for other aspects of goodness in your own life. But it means being able to live with mixed emotions. And perhaps this farmer had a heart of many rooms. So I want to bring up this concept that um, uh, I, I had talked about in the uh, teaser, which is this Hebrew word firgun, um, which is, um, I, I've often, one of the things that I've been wanting to give a sermon about for the last 26 years, um, but I have never been able to do it, is schadenfreude, which is a real thing, right? Which is, you know, you hear that John Doe or Jane Doe, something bad happened, and despite yourself, somehow in your heart, the fact that something bad happened to John Doe or Jane Doe somehow fills you with a warm inner glow. And it's so, <laughs> and it's so, it's real, it's real, John Doe, Jane Doe's uh, uh, bad thing somehow fills you, despite yourself, with an inner glow. And it's not something that you're proud of. Uh, witness the fact that I've never been able to give a sermon about it in 26 years, although I have wanted to. But it's there. And, of course, it's a German word, schadenfreude. Um, but then I heard about this word that is the opposite of schadenfreude, which is if schadenfreude is being happy with somebody else's sadness. Firgun is to be happy for somebody else's happiness. And um, so what I wanted to, uh, I wanted to read, uh, look, if you look on page four, there's a couple of pieces from the tablet on this. Um, and this writer, Irin Carmen, in this article called Hebrew Special Pride, Firgun is the ungrudging pleasure one takes in another's 
good fortune, and there is no English word for it. So the Hebrew noun is firgun. I'm reading in the middle of the page. Mefargenet and mefargen are adjectives. It describes a generosity of spirit, an unselfish, empathetic joy that something good has happened or might happen to another person. Uh, a typical use in my family will be passing on a trip itinerary and getting the maternal reply, mefargenet lachmotek. I've got such firgun for you, sweetheart, drawing pleasure from a vacation she won't take. I have found that English is bereft without an equivalent. Um, so, uh, and, and so it goes. Um, and there's, by the way, there is, um, on page six of the handout, these Tablet Magazine articles on it had three, um, three pictures of Firgun, right? It, which are uh, different degrees of spiritual generosity, right? One is, you know, you see a kid eating an ice cream cone and you're just so happy for that kid's joy, okay? And the second is, you know, somebody won an award, uh, which you didn't win, but you're happy that they won the award. And then the third is, you're dancing at somebody else's wedding. Um, and in each case, the person, the Israelite farmer, so to speak, um, is able to be genuinely happy. So Mr. Nesson, how do we do that? Uh, how do you get to Firgun, which is to be genuinely happy for the happiness of somebody else? What's the move? Uh, see, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a scene from Fiddler on the Roof, you know, when, uh, when they're all, uh, everyone in the town is, is dancing and having a, a fabulous time uh, in the middle of, you know, a very dire time. And I'm just, your, your question of how do we do that? Uh, again, I just, this, I'm not sure that I have an answer for that. Um, I, I believe that, uh, and your, um, your reference to David Hartman I think is exactly the right one, that it's, it is possible, and this is not for everyone, by the way. Uh, there are many people for whom this, the Firgun doesn't exist doesn't exist. Um, but I think for, for some of us it does. Um, and the idea that, um, that we can find in that one of those, uh, uh, one of those extra chambers in our heart, as, as you mentioned, a, a place where we can just have you know, total joy, total altruistic joy for, for someone else's simcha um, is, is inexplicable, but it's part of how God created us. Mm. That we can um, that we can live beyond ourselves, uh, that that we are not narcissists, that we in fact um, live in community, and I think that that's I think a very significant um, aspect of it. living in community. Uh, we can experience um, and be joyful for others, uh, well even though we may not be the um, the recipients of that particular moment of joy. Mm. You know, so uh, last week we were talking about the theology of uh, Harold Kushner and, and his life. And one question that I always wondered about, and I never asked him about, but it's exactly connected to this topic this week, is his son dies, you know, shortly after his bar mitzvah. And when he's having his bar mitzvah, he knows that his son is going to die from progeria. And I always wondered, um, how did he do the bar mitzvahs of other kids with a full heart? And how did he do the weddings of other kids with a full heart? And then, you know, one Saturday night, uh, Shira and I went to 
Rabbi Kushner was at his home um, in Natick, and it was in the springtime, and it was in the season of Pesach, and somehow we got to that old classic icebreaker for Pesach Seders, that the moment of the Exodus has come, and you can only take one thing, what do you take? And he said, I'll tell you what we would take. And he goes out and gets this scrapbook uh, that he said is his most prized possession, which is a scrapbook of notes and memorabilia from Aaron Kushner's friends from Schechter, people who were his age. And it included their notes to Aaron Kushner and to the family. And then it included, as they grew up and and got older. In other words, like by the time we met, Aaron would have been in his 40s. And he said, and he points out in this album, uh, this is a friend of Aaron's who got married, I did the wedding, and here are his kids. And, and he has a whole photograph album of people whose lives were not arrested or stopped by progeria, people who were in their world, <laughs> who went on to flower and to blossom, and to get married, and to have kids. And Harold Kushner's most prized possession was photographs of that. And that's what he would take if the exodus were happening right now. Um, and I thought, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Um, so I guess I want to ask the question of if, if you're not, now I guess some people have hearts that are just naturally generous. If your heart's not naturally generous, um, how does one get there? Uh, do you have any ideas on that one, Dan? Like if you, you want to do it, you want to be like Harold Kushner, you want your most prized uh, possession to be the lives of other kids that were your son's age, and you take a, a deep firgun in the ongoing flowering of their lives. But if you're not that naturally good, um, how do you get there? Maybe one response could be uh, in other words, act as though you are totally in the moment of that joy. And if you continue to do that, then perhaps eventually you can get there. Yeah, so that's such a Jewishy response, <laughs> yes. right? Which is... That's you, why we're here, you, right? <laughs> yeah, so you do it and then you feel it. So does that work for you, Dan? In other words, have you ever been invited to a wedding or to a simcha or to an event, and honestly, you'd rather watch the Celtics play the heat, but you go, um, you'd rather be home drinking a scotch, watching the game, but you go, and in the course of being in the moment, you actually get in the moment, and then your heart changes in real time, you know? Uh, you start it and then you feel it. Has that, does that strategy work for you? Uh, it, yeah, it, it, it has occasionally. I would say yes. Um, but I still think, uh, but I, I actually think that um, it, it's not 100%. In other words, uh, you know, if, if you are built that way, right. then it's easy. If you're not built that way, you can get, you can get there, you can get closer but there's always going to be that small, you know, that that voice on on the left shoulder, that's going to uh, that's going to be um, 
telling you, you know, in inviting you to not be totally in the moment. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I want to bring, we've talked about, we've had a few concepts come up now. Um, we've talked about the idea of just hope hardwired into the Jewish people that despite it all, Lamrod HaKol, there's actually synagogues with the name of Lamrod HaKol, despite it all, things will get better. We've talked about a heart of many rooms, that you have a certain sadness in one chamber of your heart, but, but happiness for others in another chamber of your heart. We've talked about um, you do it and then the feeling will come. I want to ask an entirely practical question. For the, this Israelite farmer or somebody who is grieving what they're missing, which is a very practical question, and to me this is the most weighty of all the considerations we've talked about, which is what is the alternative to Firgun? Right? In other words, you need, to, you need a posture in life. You need a basic outlook in life. So Firgun is, I am going to be, somehow or another, I'm going to work my way to be generous of spirit and to be genuinely happy for other people's happiness. Okay? That's a posture, and maybe you're born that way, or maybe you have to work at it, maybe it's aspirational, but it's a posture. And my question is, what's the alternative if you don't have that posture? and the wedding invitation comes, or the birth invitation comes, uh, or the celebration invitation comes, and you don't have the wedding, and you don't have the baby, and you don't have the celebration, what do you do? What is the alternative to the Firgun posture then? And where does that leave you? I, that, that leaves you as, um, as a person that lives their life in total depression. And, and Bingo. Depression yes. and, and, and sadness, and, and that would be the opposite of, of uh, Na'asev and Ishma. It would be that the more depressed and angry you are, because this anger is part of that as well, um, that, that the more people will be less drawn to even try to help you and be with you, and that you just create this downward spire. Right. So I tweet that is how one gets to Firgun, because the alternative is even worse. Right. right. That is to say, one gets to Firgun because you have to pick a posture. You don't get to not pick a posture. You have to pick a posture. And if your posture is Firgun, then generosity can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Generosity of spirit, I'm going to be happy for you, then I'm going to be happy for you, then I'm going to be happier and then maybe I'll even be happier, and then maybe good stuff will happen to me, right? Or um, you become Scrooge, right? You become the world's last angry person. You withdraw, you become angry, you become cynical, and you, you know, this is Khalil Gibran's phrase, you turn your back on the sun, and for you the sun is nothing but the caster of shadows. And if you do that, if you turn your back on the sun, and for you, the sun is nothing but the caster of shadows, turns out the world is fine. The wedding will happen, the birth will happen, the celebration will happen, the party will happen, and it's just you who's turned your back on the sun, and it's you who's turned your back on life. So I think one of the basic arguments for Firgun is it's the best alternative out there because mm -hmm. bitterness is self-fulfilling as well as generosity is self-fulfilling. My father used to say um, that laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you cry alone. Mm -hmm. And that's a posture that we all have to pick. I want to just do one last uh, text and then open it up to the class, which is 
the rose, um, I was told last night by somebody that she didn't actually compose it, she popularized it, uh, but that's, uh, you know, sh she's the one who made the rose popular. Um, Dan, I'm wondering if you could read this uh, song, The Rose, and uh, because the, the, the posture of the, of the author of The Rose is she doesn't have love, and she wants love. She doesn't have companionship, and she wants companionship. She doesn't have, she doesn't have love, and she wants love. So she is some version of the Israelite farmer, and if you could read that, and then I want to ask what comes up for you when you read this song, and what is his message to you and to us? Okay, sure. <clears throat> Some say love, it is a river that drowns the tender reed. Some say love, it is a razor that leaves your soul to bleed. Some say love, it is a hunger, an endless aching need. I say love, it is a flower, and you its only seed. It's the heart afraid of breaking that never learns to dance. It's the dream afraid of waking that never takes the chance. It's the one who won't be taken, who cannot seem to give, and the soul afraid of dying that never learns to live. When the night has been too lonely and the road has been too long, and you think that love is only for the lucky and the strong, just remember in the winter far beneath the bitter snows, lies the seed that with the sun's love in the spring becomes the rose. Mm. Got to be the world's all-time best song. <laughs> um, uh, I, I remember listening to that song uh, w in uh, 1980. I was with my sister, Lee, uh, whose 80th birthday was yesterday, and we were driving along the coast in L.A., and she had that song, we're bookends, she's the f oldest on the sixth, and we both have the same hiccup virus of once we like a song, we listen to it on replay. And that was back in the day where she, she made a tape of The Rose over and over and over and over again. We listened to The Rose for an hour. I just have loved that song always. What does that song say to you, Dan? Um, w it says that if um, if you think of love or actually you know, the, a loving uh, relationship or just the idea of, um, of having a, a, a life that, that's worth living, uh, there are two ways to think about it. There's one, one way is that, it's, uh, that it, can, uh, there, it, it literally cuts both ways. It's, it can either, either be a razor that's going to cut you up and not let you live, or if you take the more positive view, that um, that you'll that uh, that love is actually there, and you have to just keep hoping and keep working to find it. Uh, so this is really a, a song of um, eternal hope. Mm. And I have one question for you, Dan. In the first, and this is something about I love the song for forty years, fifty years. One thing about the song I've never understood. In the first stanza, the last line, I say, "Love, it is a flower." and you, its only seed. I've never known, I'd love to ask Bette Midler, or the person <laughs> who wrote this, who's you? Who is you, its only seed? What's the shot of this song? That's a hard one. I would, mm, I would venture to say that you can, it is one of two, 
uh, Jewish answer. It can be either this or that. Uh, and one is that, it's, uh, that this is directed to a specific person, or it's really the universal you, that each, each of us, each of us is the, uh, is the seed, and that, um, that within each of us uh, is, um, is the ability to create, uh, to, to create either positive or negative. Mm. And it's really up to us, as you said, to, uh, to make that choice. Which comes yeah. back to your first comment about hope, mm -hmm. that you know, the, it, you're, what you're left with is you know, the end of the song is just remember in the winter, that's kind of like the farmer's you know, bleak season, mm -hmm. far beneath the bitter snows, again, bleak season, lies the seed that with the sun's love and the spring becomes the rose, that one can always hold on to hope for a better world. Mm -hmm. And that hope and generosity are self-fulfilling prophecies. And, you know, bitterness and um, edge and anger against the world is its own self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and the question is, what posture will we pick? So, uh, Dan, thank you for a really important conversation. Um, and uh, I hope that what we do here helps ourselves and our loved ones here at our community pick a posture of hope and self-fulfilling generosity that becomes its own, its own positive energy. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, Dan. Okay.